Hello, I'm Adam, and welcome to Tales from the Potting Bench, a gardening podcast where you'll hear tales and stories from the most interesting and different people from the world of both indoor and outdoor gardening. This is the whopping fifth season of the podcast, with new guests and brand new stories and conversations with some people that you will definitely know, and some people that you'll come to know through these episodes. I'm still thrilled to say that this podcast is proudly sponsored by the wonderful people at PlantGrow, producers of award-winning organic compost, mulch and fertiliser made with zero chemicals. Great for your garden and even greater for the planet. And I know because it's all I use on my garden. Don't forget, if you use the code POTTINGBENCH on plantgrow.co.uk, you'll get 10% off your order. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to ask, if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, then please consider rating and leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. It's easy to do, takes a few minutes of your time, but it helps this podcast get into the ears of more like-minded planty people. Now, in this week's episode, I'm talking to someone that you possibly might not know, but you'll be oh so glad that you do by the end of this episode. My guest is a gardener by name and a gardener by nature, and at this point, some of you will have guessed that this week, my guest is the truly unique Alan Gardner. Known by most over on Twitter and also on Instagram as Autistic Gardener. Alan is a garden designer, a TV presenter and is perhaps most well known for his TV show The Autistic Gardener which aired for two seasons on Channel 4 between 2015 and 2017. In this conversation we discuss Alan's 40 show designs at Hampton Court, Chelsea and Tatton Park among others and how Alan embraces his Asperger's syndrome to create the most diverse designs around. Enjoy. So, for anyone who is not familiar with you right now, who are you and what do you do? I'm Alan Gardner. I'm a garden designer. I am known for being the autistic gardener because I did two series for Channel 4. And obviously, I'm autistic. Um, I think I've been there, seen it, had the T-shirt for most of these things. Design gardens all over this country and in parts of Europe. I've done over 40 RHS show gardens. You know, Malvern, Hampton Court, Tatton Park, Gardeners World. And I've done three at Chelsea, um, including a garden on Main Avenue. Amazing. When was the last time you were at Chelsea? I did a garden in 2015 for biking ocean cruises hmm. that they was known for river cruising and they hmm. got their first ocean going liner and they asked me to design them a garden at chelsea to commemorate the launch of that ocean going liner so was the garden it was the garden somewhat ocean themed at all no <laughs> <laughs> there was no water in it there was I'm a conceptual designer, so the thing I came up for them was was a very minimalistic Swedish style, Norway mm. style, um, using silver birch timber, etc. Yeah. But each element, the decking, the planting, the main patio area itself, each area floated over itself. Right, okay. So it was a series of layers, but those layers were clearly visible. Yeah. There was a shadow line running through everything. So it was like everything, in a way, was floating over 
other parts of the garden. Yeah. And then we had, I commissioned an artist. Well, I, I had a number of artists come up with ideas and we commissioned what looked like a stainless steel mirrored bow to the ship mm. that was pushing its way through water. Oh, amazing. And the planting was very cow parsley. Well, there was one and a half thousand cow parsleys in there. Um, very cow parsley you know, and shade plants with beautiful Himalayan birches um, at eight foot, eight metres high. Gosh. Um, which I spent an entire afternoon with a bucket of soapy water and a car sponge cleaning the individual trunks. Say <laughs> an afternoon, it was probably well into the evening. Yeah, I and know. I was just getting to the point where I thought maybe I'd gone a little too far. <laughs> When I saw a fellow garden designer on the garden next to me trying to open poppy flowers with a hairdryer. Oh, really? Bloody yeah, hell. there were so many petals blowing through the wind. Yeah, I, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think the technique worked that well. <laughs> the things you do for a, for a show garden, I don't think people... I don't think people necessarily either realise the, the kind of lengths that you go to for to, to achieve what you want. A show garden, particularly something like Chelsea, so you you find out. I mean, we started in July. I went and saw the sponsors in London, and, and they wanted me to have a go at it, and I came up with a scheme, and they accepted it. And then by about September, the RHS had accepted it. They always mm. get about three times more gardens than they can take room for. Well, they didn't know it was you know, 2015 when I did it. Mm. Um, and they accept it. And then you've got like nine months to organise this garden. Now, the sponsors are, are paying over £200,000 for a garden. Gosh. And they want to see something. Yeah. You know, you can't throw a few calendula seeds in a bucket and turn <laughs> up and go, this is environmentally friendly, you yeah. know? Yeah. So contractors were down south. The decking was being made somewhere up north. And I spent most of that winter trying to bring all these elements and all these people together until I realised what the best thing to actually do was to bring in a project manager oh. and take that pressure off me. And he sorted out, he'd, he'd done it many times for other designers. So he sorted it out from when lorries turned up, when elements turned up, when they were going to go in. And all I really had to do was be on site for two weeks, two days and panic. Um, <laughs> I took control of the planting, which there was about two and a half thousand plants. Gosh. They were grown by Hardy's plants. Yeah, lo lovely. Love they Hardy's. Were grown, they were grown from the beginning, from that first initial visit to the nursery. They were grown to the point of when things like Iris Siberica turned up at Chelsea on site, they were in bud. And then the first day of judging, they opened. And oh, I'm sure that, that wasn't sort of coincidence on their part. No, no way. No way. They know what they're doing hardies, don't they? Well, yeah, you end up with a very large lorry and they open the back. And that's the first time you see the plants in the condition that you're going to use. And I've had vast experience of planting show gardens. And you was... don't want to be the one on site with the rubbish plants. <laughs> no, you don't. No. Was that the last show garden that you did? 2015 was the last show garden that I did, because then I did the two series of 
the autistic gardener. Film the one in 2015. No, film the one in 20, 2014. So I had actually filmed it before I went to Chelsea, but the show hadn't been released. Uh, it was released in June of 2015. Then there was a gap where we filmed another one, and that was released in July of 2017. And then August of 2017, I had a heart attack, and that was the end of everything. I then found out three months later, because the doctor had told me I'd got indigestion, I found out three months later when I ended up in hospital that my heart had failed. Jesus Christ. So you were in the middle of filming the second series then? No, we'd finished the second series. The oh. second series had been aired. But there was there was no way forward to me. This this was the point where other series or other things would have been discussed. Yeah, sure. Um, but I was down and out for the count. I mean, I ended up in November then in 2017 in hospital with only 20% of my heart left, heart left intact. Jesus, swept. And how, how, I mean, stupid question perhaps, but how has that changed, A, your life, but also how you garden? Gardening is either on all fours or is stood up. I don't sound silly, but I can stand up and I can rake and I can hoe, or I can be on all fours and plant with a trowel and I can weed by hand. Yeah. But I can't dig a hole with a spade. Yeah. I, I can't move up and down because it lowers my blood pressure. And oh. within about two minutes of doing that, the whole world is going around. You're giddy, yeah. I mean, it, it affects me when it's really hot. It affects me when it's really cold. But I, I, I also, I also tend to get extreme fatigue. Right. Okay. For no, for no reason whatsoever. I was never a gardener by living. I'm a, I'm a garden designer, so I drew on paper. So yeah, that didn't really affect. No. To a certain extent, what I was doing for a living, thank God. No, of course not. Everything would have gone out the window. God, yeah. But I'm, I'm totally aware. I'm totally aware that if I strain my heart, that would be it. You know, yeah. this is, this is not the thing to go. Oh, let's climb Mount Everest. Let's, let's do the London Marathon. No, you know, it's, it's self-protection. Yeah, of course. Um, we've just moved to a smaller house, um, which has saved us a lot of money. Uh, and made life a lot easier for Mandy and I. Hmm. Um, and it was the best. We've been here five months. It's the best thing we've ever done. We love the house. Yeah. Um, but it means I've got a garden 10 metres by 5 metres, right. which was mainly paved with an oval lawn in the centre and some shrubs. Um, so I designed the back garden. My contractors came in and built the entire thing for me. Um, replaced all the soil in the beds with brand new topsoil so that I can go out on my hands and knees, my trowel. Um, and I've bought myself the most beautiful, amazing greenhouse. Oh, I bet. I bet. Is, is that such a, a joy to have a brand new garden? I, I've been in the garden that I'm in now for, I think, I want to say seven years. And before that, we were renting, so we couldn't really do much with the garden. So this has been the first the first garden that I've really got my hands on properly but has it been has it been nice to move to another garden or are you are you still kind of partially longing for the garden that you had the gardener I had I never really had mm. um it was it was never how I wanted it and I always put up with 
we can say the last house, Mandy and I was there 24 years. We mm. brought up three children there. Yeah. Um, but everything we ever did was a compromise. We compromise on everything because we've got three kids and we had to bring them up, feed them and educate them and, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yes, I had a little plastic greenhouse that cost 200 quid. Yeah. Um, and I grew most amazing things in it. Because you know, I'm one of the first to go. You can grow if you want to grow something. You can, you don't need the expensive, you know, this and the expensive that. You no. you really want to do it? You'll find a way to do it. Um, and that's how we we did it. But when we moved to this house, it apparently used to be rented. Right. Um, it was a lovely little house, but it was not loved by anybody. Um, and we have spent a lot of money on it, and we've put in fitted wardrobes and painted and decorated a new fire, and, and the garden was sort of part of that. Yeah. And, I, and I did want a plastic greenhouse that, you know, if the wind's in the wrong direction, blows away. You know, I wanted something a bit sturdier than that. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, I've got the garden. There's no plants in it. There was a, a lot of weeds, uh, butterbur for one, being a right pain in the bum. And, right. of course, contractors being contractors, they just chopped everything up. So that group of weed that I did have is now everywhere. Yeah, of course, um, spread. No plants in the ground. All I have to do now, is, and all I do, is, is hope. Yeah. And as soon as anything starts to come through, I tip the top off it. Yeah. So yeah. I haven't got a hoe round existing plants. Yeah, I'm not going to plant until the spring. I was going to say, will... you're going to start next year then, planting up. Yeah, there, there might be the odd structural tree or whatever this autumn, but majority, I, I'm not going to, to plant in there. Um, mm. I also want to grow in the greenhouse plants for the garden. Yeah, sure. You know, go to, to Chilton Seeds and buy some unusual stuff and grow mm. them and so what I'm going to do is we're going to get some bulbs, but I'm going to pot the bulbs up into P9 pots. Oh, and okay. Put them in the greenhouse. As soon as sort of growth starts to show, then I can plant them out. Well, that's in interesting. Generally. What's the, what's the, I'm, I'm a massive, massive, massive bulb fan. It's kind of my, my biggest, my best time of the year, really, to be honest. I love it. I'd never even thought of, I'd never thought of doing that. What would be the, well, not the benefit necessarily, but what would be the difference to doing that as opposed to just planting them straight out? Um, the reason being, there's no plants in the bed. There's just weeds in the bed. Oh, right. So yeah. I can get the weeds out during the autumn and the winter. If I plant bulbs now and then in the spring start planting other stuff, I'm going to start digging the bulbs up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. So if I put the bulbs in little pots, when I've planted up, then I can drop the bulbs into position where I want them to be. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, it's everybody's. It, it's a common mistake that everybody's in a rush to get these things planted to get, and then it becomes a, a fight. Yeah. Um, to get through the beds because you can no longer find out what you did plant. Where was that perennial you planted? Where did I actually put those bulbs? Yeah. Um. Oh, what's this thistle doing? You know, it, it's so 
and, and another mistake I also personally think is that people grow too much shit. You know, they, they don't appear to be able to add three or four tomatoes. They've got to have 38 varieties yeah. of six, six plants of each and then wonder why they basically fail from neglect. Yeah. It's no wonder, is it, really? It's no wonder. Well, to me, to me, gardening is about growing fewer things but growing them better. Better, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Isn't it of of growing something wouldn't it be nicer to grow the perfect tomato plant rather than have seven scrappy ones yeah you're totally right i think that you're totally right I, and i think that i mean we we say this mildly ironically being on social media and stuff but i think that that partly is is to so is due to social media i remember last year and I do, I say this mildly ironically, I'm looking at it in my garden now, but I say this mildly ironically, because last year, uh, going back to the kind of the, the fact that bulbs are my thing, like tulips are my, are just my dream. And we did, we've got a garden that's probably about the same size as yours, about five by 10, I would imagine. You know, it's nothing special. It's a very, very bog standard, mid-terrace urban house in Birmingham. Really nothing, nothing special, the garden. Um, yeah, we did about two and a half thousand tulips, and that's just because I absolutely love them. But I think the thing—I know it sounds bonkers—but the thing is that I know that that some of that is bred from social media because you know somebody goes to Wilco and gets some bulbs, and then you see that they've done that, and then you want to do some more, and you do some more, and you do some more. But that's what happens: is everybody gets carried away, and then you end up not being able to look after a bloody thing because you've got too much of something. Bulbs are the are the fireworks of the gardening world. You just get this little piece of plant and dig a hole and drop it in, and then in the spring it's glorious. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many tulips that lovely, elegant stems allow like wheat sheaves crammed mm-hmm. into the ground. Yeah. 90% of the time, you impress their friends, but they don't know anything about plants and they don't know anything about gardening. So, like, I, in that scenario, you tend to use plants like hard landscaping material. So then mm. I would plant over 100 calamagrosses, grasses in one bed for the effect, for the, you know, for the height, for the texture. Where gardeners, we, we want to grow everything. We want the red tulips, the yellow tulips, the orange tulips, the purple. And every time we see another one, we go, oh, that's a nice tulip. We need that one. <laughs> No. You're speaking to the converted. And that's here. what, yeah, but you, and I know nobody, true gardeners probably really don't want it has to be there. Something with very strong bones and good structure really accepts wild planting. Yeah. Yeah. Wild planting looks great in, in geometric shapes and contained rather than, than flowing over from object to object. Yeah, I think you're right. Like patches of it, almost where it's con- where it's contained within a, an area or various areas. Yeah, and it's also thinking of you know if you have things like oriental poppies that look great in the early summer and then are dead, you have to think about something then next to it that would grow over it and cover it up, like a like gypsophila or a dahlia, or is mm. an opportunity to put a dahlia in. Um, Gardening plant-wise, as far as I'm concerned, is editing. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, a lot of the things sort of seed themselves into the bed, and sometimes they put themselves in the most 
gorgeous, wonderful positions that you would never have thought of yourself. So you allow them to grow and then they're in areas where you don't want them. So you weed them out. So you're basically editing the book, which is your garden. Yeah. Can I, can I ask you about your, your well, about the start of all of this and how you, how you got into, well, A, gardening, but then into into design. Uh, how did how did that, where did that come about? Um, I was 15 and went out with my mother and father and I pestered them for a cactus plant. Right. I, I think the one thing that attracted me to the cactus was the geometry of it. Right, okay. Um, but you've got to understand that I am autistic. We have what they used to refer to as, as special interests, but I, I really like the term intense interest. Um, I'm the person that if I'm going to do it, then I am going to do it and I'm going to do it well. Mm. And it only gambles from that position. Once I had a, a love for plants, we we was off uh, and i think what's interesting is a lot of autistic people who have special interests get to the point where they know so much about it that you know you can't sort of continue forward no. and i think what's really nice with, with gardening is i that matter how long you live i will never get to see every single plant that there ever is no. um that's what makes it interesting it also, you don't get bored because you get a break from it. Yeah, of course. Of course you do. Of course you do. You know, yeah. it's brilliant, isn't it? You know, you're just going, oh, this garden's getting on top of me. I really peed off with this. Then it's winter. I haven't got to do anything with it. And then by the time spring comes, you've built up your enthusiasm again to go running out there because all those 8,752 tulips that you planted <laughs> in 82 different assorted colours in a yep. 10 by 5 metre garden in the suburbs of Birmingham <laughs> are really looking at, did you notice that one? Birmingham? Birmingham. Yeah, it's the first yeah. time I've spoke to someone from I, Birmingham. I said, I said uh, you're getting more brummy as the minutes go I by because that's what normally happens. <laughs> um I'm proud. I'm proud to be from me. I worked for Birmingham Parks Department for five years. That was where I had my initial training, and then I I left. I left in early 1980s with a little marine Morris Marina van and, <laughs> and an awful lot of hope. <laughs> did you did you train to be? Um, did you um, want to be a designer at that point when you when you did your training with the Parks Department? Yeah, you'll love this one. Um, I've never taken a garden design course in my life. I was I was at one point in 2015 one of the top 15 garden designers on the planet. I'm I just my my design work that I do is is different from a lot of people's because I I see the world in a different way. I mean I I always I always thought that I was being artistic where in fact I was being autistic. I love shapes. I love patterns. I love the way things go together it's it's really a fun way to make a living yeah um and then to see it develop like a piece of sculpture in somebody's garden um and, and you're also sort of influencing people um 
you know, every moment they wake, when they wake up in their house and look out the window, they see something you made, you designed, you you changed the landscape around them. It, it's like having um, a tattoo where the tattoo artist draws something on you, but that's something he drew yeah. uh, and you will forever carry with you. Mm. You know, it's, it's yeah, that strangeness. I love that. I love that so much. It is, it is that, I can't remember who said it, but it's that playing with, it's the playing with with the shape and the textures and the colours. And it's, it's the, as you said earlier, it's the editing what's, what's there, isn't it? It's the, it's not you completely rewriting the, you know, the, the, the rule book. It's you editing what's there and working with your, with the surroundings, whatever they are, rather than trying to fight against them. The surroundings and it blending in is, is vital. I received a new client in, in Warwick um, and the house they live in is part of a large building that was a lunatic asylum. When you actually go back and look into it, it was built in 18, 1852 and were they, they were sort of, these new apartments were, were built in, in 90, about 1996 or something like that. So I, I wanted to have reference to this. So the the back garden, we have got a panel of bricks that runs through the scheme, which is the same colour as the brick of the house. Right. The castellation detailing in the stone that goes around the doors and the windows also splits the garden in two. Right. But the main sort of internal flow of the garden is circular shapes based on the shape of the moon. Um, with the elliptic moon giving oh, reference gosh. to the moon, lunar, lunatic. I, oh, I did my God, you've blown my mind. A, um, well, I did a, a garden for a client in Wolverhampton who was, he was really into Lego. And right. I mean really into Lego. Um, he had all these very expensive kits. He built them up and he put them into glass cases. Right. Um, so I designed him a garden where all the proportions were based off the size of a standard Lego brick. Gosh. So if you get a standard Lego brick and you blow that up in proportion, you can use that shape throughout that garden. Right. He he even had one. I put one in as a a jokey little piece, as a little smile of the people. There's actually a bed in there with the box balls that are actually the little knobs on the top of the brick. Ah, the little stud but things. But basically, yeah. it's there's no Lego in it. Um, it's conceptual, where the, the idea is is bigger than than the sort of outcome. Yeah, so I had a, a client who, who worked at Aerospace. He worked on the Airbus 400M, which is a turboprop military plane. Um, and I based his garden on an eight-bladed aircraft propeller. But when you actually look at it, there isn't a circle or a propeller blade in it. Everything's positioned in the position that the blade would have been. Would have been, <laughs> in, yeah. I love that. Um, and it, it seems like that, that. It's things like that that drive me along. You, you, you know, don't know if you saw my series or not, but we yep. we based the garden on the shapes of wind turbines. Mm-hmm. You know, we we used um, tree points that were in the environment to to measure up maps in the olden days. 
we used brass strips in the paving that were pointing from trig point to trig point. So the Ordnance Survey grid that went over the top of the garden that was totally invisible was now made visible. Right, okay. Of a map. So we found the map, we found the grids, and then we cut into the concrete flooring and inserted brass strips. That's incredible. You know, this, this, is, this, is, this is gardening, this is architecture, this is art. This, this is is everything combined. You know, it's, it's not sitting down and going, let's put a little circle lawn down, um, and we'll we'll put a few shrubs around the outside of it. It's that there has to be a, a drive. There has to be a, a thought of where something is going. Hmm. So I, I get a client, I look at it, and it takes me about two weeks before I'm really comfortable to sit down and draw some it. Yeah. Because it's, what am I drawing? Am I drawing a picture of a cow or a sheep or an aeroplane? Do you know what I mean? And if I don't know where I'm coming at when I come to actually draw it, then I'm scuppered. Yeah, yeah. My my present client has built himself a beautiful European-style house. Mm. It's, um, it's a very grand design. It's... It looks like you'd come across it in the in the German countryside. Yeah. And he came to me because he wanted an Allen Gardner twist on a European style garden. Um, we've actually we we came up with rough concepts and we've in, implemented some of it, but now I've got to sit down and sort of join the dots and the T's together. Mm. Um, but we got cubed trees. Right. We have a clear stem on a on a beech tree of two point four meters, and then we have a two meter square head, trimmed, right. individual cubes. So what what do you use them with? You use those with gabion cages, and yeah. then we take the local stone and put those in the gabion cages, which are also cube shaped. Nice. But what I'm going to do. And and he hasn't seen it yet. He's <laughs> shouldn't say this if he hasn't seen it. He, he won't he won't look at the gardening thing like this. Um I imagine that his house back and front is sat on this big bed sheet. Hmm. And I'm stood at the front and I grab each corner and I give it a way up in the air and yeah. this wave goes right the way through the front garden and ends up in the back garden and goes clean out of the boundary. Right. Um, that's what's in my head. Gosh, how do you I'm put that into a design? Um, I normally play about with my my kids. My kids, when they were younger, thought it was truly amazing that one day um, I after I washed up, after dinner, I sat in the dining room with several boxes of Rice Krispies, and that actually turned into a two hundred and forty thousand pound garden in South London. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Um, clients pay me for the ideas. They don't, you know. All I have to do is I have to get, I have to convey a sufficiently strong message for my client to understand what I'm trying to do. And for my contractor to actually build it. Yeah. Uh, and that's 
I, I can be as clever and as arty-farty as I want, but if my client won't accept it, we don't go any further. If yeah. my contractor can't build it, you know, if my contractor turns around and says, how do I do that? And I go, I really haven't got a clue, but, you know, I thought it would look good. We're not getting anywhere, are we? No. There's some designers that are quite renowned for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I came up with it. You sort it out sort of thing. <laughs> but... You know, we've we've quite quickly glossed over, well, we haven't glossed over, but we haven't mentioned enough about the TV show. Um, <clears throat> and I think... There may be some people listening that that haven't uh, perhaps haven't seen it. So what was what was that? It was called the Autistic Gardener, wasn't it? It was called the Autistic Gardener. It's I I had been not diagnosed, but I had been told I was autistic about four months before I had a telephone call from a production company, totally randomly. Right. I know this show's stupid. But they'd found a video of me at Chelsea on YouTube. Right. And they had won me. And the then head of factuals at Channel 4, a lovely lady, had an autistic son. And she wanted to put autism out in the mainstream. She had given it to a production company who thought it would make a great makeover series. And they were looking for someone that would lead the autistic people um, and show them how to do it. Being neurotypical and not autistic, they had never thought in their wildest dreams they would come across a landscape garden designer who himself was autistic. Within three days, they had a producer come around with a camera who filmed me four hours she left the house with you do realize 90 percent of these things don't get anywhere yeah of course she said but they're but they're gonna love you and off she went um and then to cut a long story short about three months after that channel four commissioned it the, the scary thing was I, I had never done anything like that in my life um I was, you know, not just appearing on a show, but I was presenting the show. Um, And for the first two or three days of filming, Channel 4 had some executives on site who basically stood there with their arms folded looking at me whilst I performed. Um, I didn't realise until later the idea was they didn't think I could do it. They would have gone, no, you can't do it. And, And I would have been out the door. Oh you my know, gosh! TV wow. is ruthless. Um, but they decided that that the big thing, as far as the autistic garden was concerned, was Channel Four's idea mid-filming that I should narrate it. Yeah. I, I don't know if you ever noticed, but, but you know, the gardening shows that are on there, there's always a a lady or some other person narrates it. Yeah. Um you know, love your garden and things like that. And Alan did this and, you know, you never get to hear the presenter's voice. Yeah. So they they sent me down to London. They tested me on an edit thing and they said it was worth a punt. And then one day I went to London and sat in a recording booth with the executive producer uh, and head of factual at Channel 4 
and they spent six hours teaching me how to do the narration, how to do wow. the voiceover, which wow. was apparently the most difficult thing to do. Right. We finished at quarter to midnight. And we just looked at episode one. So then two days later, I go in and I record episode one in four hours, 165 lines. Gosh, wow. Um, Did you enjoy the experience, though? Absolutely adored the experience. I I, I, I went to America for two weeks mm. uh, in, in series two. I spent four days in New York, four days in Austin, Texas, and four days in Los Angeles filming, seeing some brilliant gardens, meeting designers I'd only ever seen in books. Mm. Um, aka Topher Delaney in, in New York, who had flown from San Francisco to show me her garden in New York and to talk to me. Gosh. Um, no, and, and then people are going, Oh, you, you went to America, and you know, they, they save up large sums of money to go to America, and they say, You go to America for free, and you go, No, I got paid, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you didn't go for <laughs> free, you came back, yeah. <laughs> They paid me. I even got paid for sitting on the airplane. Although the tight buggers only give me half my hourly rate because I was sat (laughs) on the plane. (laughs) (laughs) They had to agree that I had to sit on the plane, which was my time, Mm. you know. Yeah. And going over there with this understanding that botanical Latin. Uh, is the same all around the world yeah. until an American presenter says to you how he loves to grow dahlias. Dahlias, yeah. And you go, dahlias? And, and there was a lady in Texas who'd had this massive collection of basils. Basil, gosh. Isn't it amazing how the language differs? Uh, um, yeah, and I, I saw a lot of things out there and learned. In Los Angeles, there was a 15-acre garden that was just exclusively cacti and succulents. Gosh. Um, you just spend your time walking around, looking up, looking for the glass roof, mm. but there isn't one. Yeah. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's I, a I totally love different to climate. Be... Yeah, well, look where most of our plants and our gardens come from. Mm. Yeah, North America. Um, your your garden is is a world a world confection, isn't it? You got Chinese, Japanese plants, Himalayan plants growing next to North American plants. You know, it, it's it's truly amazing. So that's um, so for anyone that wants to wants to go back and watch that, is that still on? Is that still on four on demand or whatever it's called now? Um, I don't think it's on any of the Channel Fours. It's it, it's on certain programs in certain yeah. countries. It was shown in sixteen territories around the world. Uh, I ended up with a fan base in a huge fan base in New Zealand. Uh-huh. I had to do I had to do their their several times. I did one of their morning ten o'clock radio shows, right. uh, and it was midnight here. Um, I'm trying to stay awake. They're all getting up, you know. <laughs> Was very popular in Germany. Have an mm. awful lot of German followers on Twitter. Mm. Okay. Um, and did did a garden did a garden last year in southern Germany. Um, there's another one you're like, 
client was really into art and was right. particularly into Kandinsky. Okay. Abstraction. So I, I gave them a, a Kandinsky abstractive garden. Right. Okay. Of angles, um, which worked out far better than I ever believed it could. But so yeah, it was shown around it was shown around the world. Um it had over a million viewers when it was aired on channel four. Right. Um it did very well on catch up whilst it was it was there. When it was on. So what's next then, Alan? But, what what can what can the world expect to see from Alan Gardner now? <laughs> I've no idea. I really <laughs> don't. I've got myself in a comfort zone, so I, I suppose I I need I don't know if, if more TV will ever come or not come. Um, and, and it's not for me to, to say. It, it's one of those that, you know, one day I might get an email and and off we go. I, I found out it's, it's no point in trying to go, oh, we could sending them, or oh, we could do this program and do that program and this program and that program. And uh, it takes months and months and months, and then they'll just turn it down or whatever. The what what will happen if it will happen is somewhere in an office somewhere in this country, somebody will have just got commissioned to do something and they're looking for people to be in it and they'd go, God, do you remember the Alan Gardner, the autistic gardener? Um, that's the only way it's going to happen. That's why I I still like to have a massive presence on social media. I I also do that for other reasons, particularly trying to encourage people to just be themselves. Everybody goes around masking and you can't do this in society and you can't do that. And I like to put my support of people being themselves. Yeah, I think that is something that really attracted me to you on Twitter initially when I I first saw you, is that you, you, you are really authentically just being yourself like you know no you know no ifs no buts you you are you aren't you you know some of the things i come out with can be so funny um and i don't realize they're funny until everybody's having an hysterics about it yeah um i i like i like being me i mean as you're obviously aware i i I like doing makeup and why shouldn't I do makeup? And I, and I don't do it for any other reason than I actually enjoy doing it yeah. from an artistic point of view. Yeah. Um, it is though a bit like doing a painting on a canvas and then walking around for the rest of the day, holding it up in front of you. Yes, that's <laughs> um, true. Look what I've done. Um, I, I just want to enjoy myself. I mean, I, I ended up, I ended up in a situation um in hospital where i heard the cardiologist say um can i have a nurse um to come with me to see the next patient because i've got some bad news and about three seconds later he was stood in front of me with the said nurse who turned out it was a bloke and he stood there with his arms folded uh, I thought he was meant to be a bit more caring than that, but he just stood there with his arm folded, staring at me. And basically said there was nothing they could do. Um, and they told me later they expected me to be dead within 12 months. Was this when you had your heart issue? Yeah, with a heart failure. So, it, you know, um, 
never liked people telling me what to do. <laughs> so that was six years ago. Well, there you go. Proving them um, wrong. So I'm on 10 different medications a day, and I have my own implanted defibrillator to shock me back in case I have going to cardiac arrest. Right, okay. Um, and I can't go too far or exert myself too much, but whatever I can do, I'm going to enjoy the shit out of. Um, and what I can't do, it's not worth thinking about, is it really? No. Totally I can't agree. do it. Totally agree. Yeah. Right. Well, I have got three questions for you um, that I've had <laughs> actually. I, I know, I know. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. One of them I've had to amend actually because <clears throat> it's all about, well, I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell you the I'll tell you the question in a minute. And you'll understand um why I'm amending it. So the first question is, which you, you're gonna have to think about in a slightly different way. The first question was, if you were to start your garden again from scratch, where would you start? But obviously that's exactly <laughs> what you're doing at the moment. So what did you do when you started yeah. your garden from scratch? I didn't have a client. I had me and I had my wife who loves the garden. And I wanted a greenhouse. She wanted a lawn. This garden is far too small for a lawn, but we both wanted one. But the garden wasn't too small for a grass path. Right. So I changed the lawn to grass path. <laughs> and you'll love this. One end of it, although it's row lawn, high-quality lawn, as has been planted with daisies from Mandy's mother's garden because she likes daisies. Right. But the top section of the lawn, I'm going to try and have like Wimbledon. So yeah. we wanted the lawn. I wanted a nice greenhouse. And it was how, how that space then could be utilised. If I put the greenhouse in and I put it a couple of feet away from the fence running down, I would lose two foot by eight foot of yeah. garden. Yeah, but because the greenhouse is tilted at 45 degree angle, instead it gives me two triangular planting beds inside of it. Yeah, So it was, it was, you know, I wasn't trying to be too clever with myself. I can do that with clients and use their budgets. But, you know, I, I wanted the basic bones that I could garden and I could grow nice things in. Yeah, so the design is important. It is it is important. It's important knowing what you want in it. And then accommodating that will give you the clue to where you need to go next. Absolutely. Wow. That's a I mean that sums it up, sums it up very nicely. Leads me leads me on to the next question then. So obviously we've in, as we've already heard, the garden is is bare except for weeds at the moment. So perhaps this doesn't apply to the garden right now, but Imagine your garden at the height of its, uh, you know, it's planted up. You, you're quote unquote happy with it. Not that anyone's ever fully happy with their garden. Tell me what your favourite scent that you have in a garden is. Although I've, I've never, I haven't grown any for a, a tremendous long time. I would probably find roses or sweet peas that were of. I, I'm playing with the idea because simple reason. You look out of our lounge window overnight at the street lights, and this place is full of moss. Hmm. I have never seen so many moths, and I would like to plant 
you know, evening flowers for the moths. Yeah. See if we can entice them to the back garden. And then hope upon hope that I don't realise one moth looks different to another moth and then will want to know all the moths that they are in the UK, <laughs> which is an autistic problem for me. Yeah. But I, I want to, you know, I like the evening, night-scented stock. Mm. I mean, that's a scrappy little plant that no one takes any notice of, but weaving through other plant material can give off a beautiful scent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. I like that. Nice choice. And the final question. If you had to sum up why gardening brings you such joy, how would you do that? I'm attracted to patterns. I'm attracted to shapes. I'm attracted to colour. Um, I, I like the way... I like the way also from year to year you keep growing the same things and then one year wherever you're growing doesn't respond like it did the year before. Um, and I don't know if you do that, but if you go out generally and keep your eyes open, you go, my God, the Sambucas are doing well this year. Or, my God, those viburnums are real. I've never seen a Forsythia with so many flowers. Hmm. And it's like one year something is ideal conditions and then other things that weren't growing, you know, are not doing so well. And it's change, isn't it? It's hmm. it's a change in the garden that, that makes this whole thing interesting. Um I I love I love to grow perennials, I love to leave the seed heads, so we've got the hollow stems, etc., for the insects. But it's the frost attached to them, the hall frost, the colour of the sky, the evening, the different colours in the evening time. The garden just looks some evening so vibrant. Um, the garden in heavy shadow. It, it's like it's like a picture on a wall that is a constantly changing image. Um, and as a designer, it's something I, I like to exploit shadows and changes of things as the garden changes through the day but also the garden changes through the the season i mean because my garden is so small no longer do i have to prick out the 38 varieties of tomato uh 25 of each um you know because you can't waste the seedlings can you you know i mean what's going to happen to those seedlings going to die and then you're going to feel really bad about it yeah. And the tulips. And the tulips, See, I'd grow the species ones. Yeah, uh, I do like the species. Bread. I don't grow enough of them, though. I, I don't grow enough of them, but I do love them. Well, I've got the front garden to deal with still because we're, we're going to do the kitchen and so we're going to need skips. So I, I don't want to do anything with the front garden until I've actually got to the point um, I can do something with it. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm... I want I want the front garden to be a garden where you park the car, not to be a car park with flowers. If you'd like to find out more from Alan, then you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter, where you'll find him on both as Autistic Gardener. But be warned, he is quite formidable on Twitter, and he won't mind me saying that at all. Join me again next week where I'll be in conversation with another fantastic plantee guest. 
Until then, you can follow me on Instagram at View from the Potting Bench to see what I'm up to in my garden, or visit viewfromthepottingbench.com to read my blog and much more. <laughs>